Welcome to the How to Code Well podcast, a show all about web development and programming. My name is Peter Fisher. I am a freelance web and mobile applications developer. Hello coders, today we're going to be talking about how to become a better web developer. And I have the pleasure of being joined by Emma Vidkant, and we're going to be talking about all the things you need to sort of do to become better as a developer. Hi Emma, how's it going? Have you had a good week? I have had a great week. How are you, Peter? Yeah, yeah, it's good, good. Um, so yeah, super, uh, super busy at the moment, but uh, mm-hmm. really glad that uh, we've we've managed to to uh, do this thing. Um, we've actually been planning this for for uh, a bit. So, we have. Uh, I apologize. I've been so busy, and like you caught me in a great time because I leave for California in a day, so it's perfect timing. Oh, but wow. I apologize. It took so long. No, no, no. It's uh, both. Uh, it's my fault too. I mean, we. There's, there's so much going on at the moment in both mm-hmm. uh, my sort of working life and so forth that, uh, you know, times just don't sort of happen and time zones are awful. Um, oh, yes. So what are you doing in, uh, you know, in your travels? Uh, so in my trip to California, I'm actually going for a design systems, like not, I wouldn't call it a workshop. We're just going to go collaborate out uh-huh. in California with some of our colleagues and get our design system moving. No way. Awesome. That sounds super yeah. cool. Who, who are you doing that with? I work at Log Me In. Nice. So that's, yeah. is it, so that's like a workshop that they're putting on. Um, um, it's so, yeah, I'm actually running it, uh, which is really cool. So it's just going to be maybe like five of us and we're just going to sit in a room and we're going to discuss content and design and the style guide and all that fun stuff. Awesome. Awesome. That sounds super mm-hmm. cool. You're also um, an instructor at Egghead.io. Plus, you're the creator of Coding Coach and a UX developer at LogMeIn, as you just mentioned. Um, that's like loads of stuff. How do you fit it all in? You really don't know. Like, it's like at the expense of my sanity. Uh, <laughs> I have a lot to do, but you know, I love it. I I hate being bored, uh-huh. and so I constantly like fill myself up with different tasks that I can do uh, to fill in like literally every spare second of my day. So. It's a lot of uh, productivity that I need to work on and, yeah. and time boxing and all of that. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a whole different podcast. So <laughs> I could talk about time that for management. A while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, before we get into uh, talking about how to become a better developer, let's, uh, let's discuss uh, your background. And um, so, how, how did you get into web development? Yeah. So, uh, by accident, um, is the short answer. <laughs> so I was, uh, my whole life, I wanted to be an obstetrician and OBGYN. So I wanted to deliver babies for a living. Oh, wow. Uh, and yeah, I was like the little, like six year old kid watching like shows about birthing and it was the weirdest thing. Okay. Like mm. I know that's weird, but that's what I was convinced I was going to do. And then I got to college and my first semester, like I almost failed out. Like it was so bad. And I was like, okay, maybe, maybe I should reevaluate this goal. Mm. Uh, I'm going to switch to actuarial science. And so I did that for a little bit, which is a lot of statistics and math. Mm. And that's where I took my first intro to computer science course. Um, And so that's where I was exposed to like binary, the history of computers and all that fun stuff. Mm. And I just clicked um, immediately. So I, uh, my sophomore year declared a major in computer science Mm -hmm. and that's where I got exposure to that. Um, But I primarily just learned Java and um, you know, 
the computer sciencey type of things. It was more back end dev. Mm. So when I had accepted my first role at IBM in Texas. I got a call one day from the hiring manager a few months before I was supposed to start. And they said, Hey, we had an opening on the web development team. Uh, we were thinking about putting you in there. Are you cool with it? Hmm. I was like, yeah, like HTML and CSS are easy. Like, yeah, like let's go for it. And then I got to the, the first day of my job and I realized, um, way in over my head. <laughs> so that's the long answer of how I got into web development. <laughs> is that is that like the typical sort of a back end developer looking at front end stuff and going, you know, that's actually terribly easy compared to what I'm yes. doing right now? Yeah. yeah, that's like a huge pet peeve is like this like nonsensical gatekeeping of like, oh, well, you do web dev. You're not a real developer. It's mm. like, okay, like mm. I can still work in a database. I can still work with even like assembly code. So yeah, I'm still a real developer. And regardless of what area of development you work in, you're a developer. Like even if yeah. you're working on WordPress sites and mm. I hate that gatekeeping. So <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I could talk about that for a whole episode. <laughs> So, um, you know, what, what was the thing that, that, uh, you said it clicked, right? You said, you said mm -hmm. that, um, uh, coding clicked. How did it click? Yeah. What was the, what was the thing that made you know that it clicked? Um, so I have always been very creative from a musical perspective. I played music like my whole entire life. I taught myself piano around age five and then like I played trumpet for how many years I couldn't <laughs> even tell you, like a long time. And so I was even debating a career in music for a while because I, I love the creative side of things. Yeah. I think what I like is that there's no one way to play a song, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so when I was in my computer science class and we were learning about programming, I was like, well, this is really cool because I, I get to use the analytical side of my brain to solve problems, but there's not one way to solve this problem. I get to explore different routes. Mm. And so that was what really intrigued me about it. Mm. Okay. So you, you, it was, it was an intriguing thing. You, you, you found mm -hmm. that you were able to, um, to, to play around with solutions to problems and, uh, yeah, it's all problem solving yeah, when you yeah. get down to it, right? So um, I was always that kid too that would like walk around with like those logic puzzle books. Like I just love that <laughs> kind of stuff. So yeah. it just seemed kind of like a natural fit. And I think honestly, like mm. if I'm being real, I think part of the reason I stuck with computer science was proving people wrong. Like mm. my whole life, like, you know, we talk about women in tech being underrepresented and um, maybe having some barriers to overcome. My whole life, I've always wanted to prove people wrong who told me I couldn't do things. So like I was in the fire department growing up, like I did all the things that people didn't expect for me. I played trumpet, which is primarily male dominated. Um, and so I think for me, that was very alluring of like, you know what, like, yeah, I'm a woman, but I can still do this stuff and I'm going to kick butt at it. Of course. Yes, mm -hmm. of course. Do you, um, um, okay. So you, you mentioned that you were in IBM doing Java. Um, how did that move into, uh, UX? Um, yeah, yeah, that's a fun story. So, um, I was, my first role was in front end dev and I was working on enterprise storage systems and I was doing front end dev for that. Mm. And it was, since I was trying to play catch up for all of these years of like web development that I had missed, I was really struggling. I was having such a hard time. Like I went home every day and questioned every decision I'd ever made up until this point. Okay. And then uh, my manager pulled me in one day and she was like, Hey, we're going to put you on this accessibility project. We need to overhaul our products with accessibility. Mm. We want you to be in charge of that. And so I did that and I really liked it because I saw the problems and 
there were very clear solutions. So I made that accessible. And while I was doing that, um, I knew I, I did not want to work in enterprise storage my whole life. It's mm. just not something that clicked with me. I didn't understand like all of the different things go like, what is a DS 8,000? I couldn't tell you. <laughs> right. So at that point, like I had the discussion with my manager of like, okay, maybe this, this, um, product is not the right fit for me. Mm-hmm. And so I began applying and inter- applying internally to other roles. And I received an email one day from a vice president of, uh, systems and transformation, which is an organization. And he said, Hey, uh, would you like to join my design team? And I was like, uh, yeah, absolutely. Why not? Yeah, like that sounds cool. Uh, and the design, the designers were known for having like the coolest studio space and like throwing really fun parties and stuff. So I was like, yeah, like that sounds really cool. Why not? I don't know anything about design. Mm. Um, so I, I moved onto the design team and it changed my life because I got exposure to so many different projects. So like I worked on Linux on Power Developer Portal, which is like an open source platform for finding um, Linux packages. Um, and uh, I got to work on um, support transformation. So redefining how support looks within IBM products. Mm-hmm. And then my last project was quantum computing, which was like the coolest thing. Wow. Um, and so each project, I got exposure to new technologies. I got to kind of govern my own workflow and my tech stack mm-hmm. and I also got to learn a lot about design and the the design thinking process and creating user flows and heuristics behind UX. And it was just, it transformed the way that I interact with the world. Right. So. Awesome. That's such a good story. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I love hearing about how a transition has happened through conversations, perhaps with managers and stuff that has led you on to different paths. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, do, do you, do you ever look back to the Java days and go, you know, what, what could I be doing if I was just doing Java right now? I don't think I'd be in development if I was still working backend. Um, in all honesty, I okay. think that it's a lot harder to get into. Why I like web dev is it's all in the browser. Uh, a lot of it's in the browser. Yeah, it's in the browser. I'm tired. Um, <laughs> so what's great about that is you can you can write an application, you can spin up a local server, and you can see your changes live, mm. in, like instantly, right? With the back end, it's a little bit different. You're not getting the same type of experience. And I'm a very visual person, so I had trouble connecting with the back end. And Java is a very robust language, verbose, sure. um, versus something like JavaScript is, you know, has a lot more a lot of benefits that benefit me personally in the way that I learn. Yep. So were I still in backend development, I don't think I'd be here today. Okay. I will say I did like database. Like I liked that's the, the really deep end stuff. Um, I liked assembly language and all those really technical things, but it was just the backend for some reason never mm. clicked with me. Mm. I totally get what you mean by, you know, the, the, the quick feedback loops, um, and you, you, the, the smaller the feedback, the, the quicker the gratification of actually getting something working and building upon, like, I always call it like, you know, little Lego blocks. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, perhaps you're building a big Lego house, but you have got to start with the small Lego blocks first. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. Um, so in terms of, uh, new developers coming on, do you have any advice for, for those people? Yeah, um, I have a lot of advice for new developers, but one that I don't think I've ever given before is to surround yourself with like-minded people and people who support you. Uh, This is going to be a long journey. It's going to be a hard journey. So you need people who are also going through the struggle, people who have come out the other side of the struggle, um, and people who just genuinely believe in you because there's nothing more demotivating than hearing, oh, you can't do it. Oh, you know, I don't believe in you. That's It's going to destroy your morale. So find people 
two kinds, two kinds of people, people who support you and people who are in the same exact boat as you are. Right. So that's really good advice. Find people that will support you. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about mentoring. Uh, Coding Coach, that's a mentoring platform, right? Can you give a, a little bit of information about what Coding Coach is and perhaps your inspiration behind it? Yeah, absolutely. So Coding Coach is an open source mentorship platform for any developer uh, to find help. Mm. When I was at IBM on this design team, I was the only developer on the design team. And as such, I had a very hard time learning things when I had questions. I didn't have a mentor. Uh, and so I actually tried to start a mentorship program at IBM for the same kind of thing, right? I, I wanted anyone to be able to go in and find a mentor easily. Mm. And it didn't really take off because I don't think I was fully invested in it at the time. But last September, I was sitting in the Berlin airport and I don't know what got into me, but I just ended up sending out like a tweet and I was like, would people be interested in an open source mentorship platform that's yeah. free? And everyone was like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, let's build it. <laughs> so I bought a domain and I set up all the Slack orgs and we just, we started it. And um, the goal of it is to provide anyone with an opportunity to find a mentor or to get technical help, right? Um, regardless of where in the world you are or whatever circumstances you know, you have, you can find someone to help you. And, um, it seems like this was just a need of the industry that hadn't been fulfilled in some of the other mentorship platforms because it's not a novel idea, mm -hmm. but, um, it's free, right? I mm -hmm. mean, almost everything these days costs money. And yeah. I understand because people are devoting time and, um, you know, they have special services to offer, but at a certain level, like mentorship is something that Anyone would suggest if you, if you're looking to succeed in in development, you need that support system, mm. and to have a barrier to entry for people, mm. maybe people who don't have extra money laying around and can't afford it. That's what I think differentiates us is that like you can join our Slack organization and talk to anyone and get the help that you need instantaneously with no fee. And I think that's where the wins are. Awesome. So is it? So you mentioned Slack, right? So is that is that how one communicates to a mentor? Yeah, so we are currently building the fully fledged product at the moment. So what mm. we've done is we've set up this alpha version, which is essentially just like a database of um, it's not even a database. We don't have a database. It's a JSON file, right? So basically, let's say I want to sign up as a mentor. I go to Coding Coach. I fork and clone the repo. I, I you know what? I lied. We have a cool CLI tool. <laughs> I go, <laughs> I, I use the CLI and I enter my mentorship information, which is like my name, my location, what skills I want to mentor in. Mm -hmm. um, you open a pull request automatically once you're done with the CLI prompts and you get added into this JSON file that pre-populates this, you know, UI. So this is what we have currently. And as a mentee, I go and I search. Maybe I want someone in Germany. Mm -hmm. Maybe I want um, someone who knows, I don't know, Haskell. Uh, and I go and you can filter and, and what you do is you just directly contact the people, whether that's, they, they list their own methods of contact. So either Slack or maybe like Twitter or whatnot, email, this is the alpha version we have today, yeah. but in the future, um, this full platform will have integrated messaging. I, you know, we're not looking to be the next video chatting service. And because I work at log me and we have a really cool 
meeting service called GoToMeeting. Um, so we're not trying to be the next, you know, real-time com- communication tool, but we will provide like an in-app uh, chat service to get started and and track your progress and all of that. That sounds super cool. Yeah, that mm-hmm. sounds that sounds super cool. What's the um, what's the URL? So um, I'll put it I'll put it down in the show notes. Yeah. But I'll also put so it on the screen the- here. The full site will be at codingcoach.io. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, if you want to go to the alpha site, it's mentors.codingcoach.io. Nice. Um, yeah. So how does a mentor become a mentor? Because <laughs> how, you've, you've explained how, how one finds a mentor, but how does a mentor mm-hmm. sign up? Um, so in terms of like maybe having qualifications, is that? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, this is kind of like a, not a source of contention, but maybe something that's kind of up, up for debate at the moment. So um, my viewpoint on this is, one, these people are offering their services for free and their time for free, right? Um, I can't give them any compensation um, at the moment. So that's one. And given that, we didn't want to provide a barrier to entry. A lot of people really want to be mentors because for several reasons. I mean, they like giving back. It, it helps them get promoted. It looks good on a resume. There are a ton of reasons why. But that was the first thing is I didn't want a barrier to entry for this first version. Mm-hmm. Now, my question to myself was, do we want to set something in place for the full platform? And after some introspection, I think the answer right now is no. And the reason is everyone has something to offer. Everyone has a unique perspective on something, right? right? However, to vet the quality of these mentorships, we will have a feedback uh, process, Mm -hmm. whether that's public reviews, whether that's ratings, whether that's something, right? Right. But who am I to tell someone you're not good enough? Oh, I would never do that. Everyone has something to offer. So I think to become a mentor, there's no barrier to entry. I think that's on you to be introspective and say, yeah, I'm in a place where I could help someone, something that I have is valuable. Um, but we will provide like feedback and reviews and whatnot. That sounds cool. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Um, so, so once someone has found a mentor can, mm-hmm. and, and, and they go through whatever they're mentoring, is there a way that the, per- the student um, could, uh, give feedback upon the mentor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So not at the moment because we really want to get, we, we need a database, right? We can't really mm. do much with data that has no place to live. Okay. So we're working on that at the moment. Um, I have had people reach out to me um, directly to give feedback, which is great. I haven't gotten any negative feedback. I will say uh, full transparency. We've had a couple people message and say, hey, I haven't heard back from some of the people I've emailed or contacted. And immediately I say, please send me their details. I will figure out what's going on. And so I'll, I'll contact the mentor at that point and and see what's going on. And, um, I, you know, I'm very uh, adamant about making sure that people respond, right? Because we need to ensure that if someone's putting themselves out there, if mm. they are reaching out, that they get a response. And I think part of the problem here lies in this capacity indicator. We don't currently have one. So like if I have 12 mentees, like I'm full, like I don't have capacity, but mm. I have no way to indicate that. So moving forward, we'll have something on the site to say, Hey, like this person's pretty full at the moment. Like maybe you want to go check out, um, you know, this person over here, uh, and whatnot. So that's one way we're alleviating it. Uh, but yeah, I've only gotten good comments other than that, uh, which is really, really heartwarming. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's really good. It's that sounds really, really good. Um, so, so is how how does this mentoring system differ from from perhaps other things? Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head right now in terms of names mm-hmm. of other mentoring groups. But um, is there anything that that differentiates differentiates it from from other uh, mentoring systems? 
Yeah. So I mentioned earlier that it's free, which I think is a good one. Um, we also have a vast, uh, a vast network. So I think we have like, I don't know, over 2,200 people in our Slack organization alone, um, yes. which is really yeah. great. So like people are very active, very helpful. Um, we're, we have plans, uh, a lot of really good plans in the work. So a couple of things, uh, we are starting a mock technical interview process, which is really cool. Ooh, so Chris cool. Villa is, uh, he's a, an engineer at Envision. He's awesome. He has been there since like conception. He has been a front end lead and he decided that we should do some mock interviews. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Who loves technical interviews? No one. We're all terrible at it. So he posted this mock uh, job application. We've mm-hmm. gotten some, you know, people have to submit a resume, a cover letter, basically apply for like this real job mm-hmm. and then go through the whole process. And then at the end of it, we'll provide feedback. We'll provide guidance. So that's one thing because like, yeah, you can do mock technical interviews, but um, I haven't seen one that actually requires you to fill out like the resume and the cover letter and then, you know, give feedback and whatnot. So that's really cool. And then, uh, we really love this idea of group mentorship classes. So maybe we'll do like a five or 10 seat class on, um, I don't know, react mentorship and it's like, you know, an interactive session. Um, and so we have a lot of really cool ideas in the works. There is one other thing we're going to be doing, which is super cool. We're going to be partnering with compassionate coding. April Wenzel runs that program. So we're going to hold a session. I think it's in June. I've got to check. Um, so make sure to follow on Twitter because I will be posting updates, but we're going to allow, um, you know, we're going to cap a number of seats, but we're going to allow you to sign up for free and attend this, this course. It'll be just a couple of hours and it'll teach you how to be a compassionate coder, how to write code compassionately. So, you know, to be a good teammate, um, how to just be compassionate to your users, be empathetic towards them. So yeah, we're doing a lot of really cool things. I'm looking forward to collaborating with some other really cool, you know, creators in the, in the world. So that is awesome. I mean, the, uh, the, the whole interview thing, it's a complete mystery. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, you know, a black magic type thing. Every, right. every technical interview I've had have, has been super different. So right. it's, it's, I know. Um, and they've been super terrible. Well, some of them yeah. anyway. Um, yeah. And, uh, the whole compassionate stuff is, is, mm-hmm. is, uh, really, really interesting. Um, and uh, I, I think, you know, moving on to, to, to what makes a developer uh, improve themselves, I think mm-hmm. you've hit on a lot of stuff already, you know, compassionate coding, um, being able to have an interview uh, with that whole process. You need to speak to both technical and non-technical uh, people. You need to have some level of soft skills. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, let, 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 let's move into into becoming a better developer what, what in your opinion what what is a a quote unquote good developer mm-hmm. i've got i think about six uh pointers I want to quickly touch on. So one sure. is perseverance. So even when it gets hard, you know, having the perseverance to push through those times and know that it will get easier. Um, the willingness to admit when you're wrong, this is a really big one. <laughs> I always, uh, preach that this is a huge skill because you can't always be right. Like statistically, it's just not going to happen. Um, don't tell my husband because I tell him that I'm right all mm. of the time. Um, but you know, if you, if you make a mistake, um, own up to it. Like it's okay. Like you're not, it's not going to be the end of the world, but it shows that you are self-aware, um, and mm. you can grow, mm. uh, good communication. We take communication skills for granted. So whether that's in writing, whether that's, you know, face to face, just, you know, work on your communication skills to, to foster those better team relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, willingness to learn. If the, the moment you stop learning, the moment you plateau is like 
it's almost that's that's the only thing that could possibly kill your career for the most part is when you stop learning. It's this sounds so cynical and I don't mean it this way, but it's um, like you can't succeed if you if you stop learning. So keep learning, um, you know, whether that's learning vertically within the the area that you're currently in, whether that's learning laterally across many different things, just find something you like and learn about it. Mm. Um, on top of that, willingness to teach because we all have something uh, really useful. We all have different ways of explaining things. You have to be able to teach your your colleagues and and whatnot. And then the last is open mindedness. I have seen a quite a few people um, in the industry who are very close minded or who have very strong opinions on things. And opinions are okay, right? Generally, we form them for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but you need to be open to exploring new technologies, new opportunities, uh, and seeing, okay, like maybe the way I'm doing it isn't the best way to do it. Mm. So those are the, the skills or the the bullet points I'd say that make a good developer. Yeah, that, that sounds like a good list, a good solid list there. Um, I, I really dig the, the whole admitting fault um, thing because it, it makes you accountable. It makes you yeah. aware of your mistakes. Um, and if you admit to a mistake, you probably won't be making that again, right. um, very soon because, um, you, you know, you, you, if, if, I mean, it could be any kind of mistake, but let's just pick on like a technical mistake. You've made a mistake mm-hmm. and it's been pushed to production. Um, and there's been a whole hoo-ha over that if you can say that it was me um then you will you will have that experience and you'll be able to take that with you to other other companies mm-hmm. other jobs other projects and you won't be making that again uh because right. of the experience that you've had um but also uh, it, it just in terms of like um being able to know where some uh, where to look for these mistakes as well yeah um so you know like even if that's going through log files and knowing where things sort of fall apart, I think that's um, that that's really really uh, super important. Um, mm-hmm. So, what 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 um in t- in terms of non technical skills though, do do you think that there are more non technical skills required for pr- uh, programmers wanting to become better programmers, or do you think that it is purely uh, mostly down to technical skill. Hmm. I think it it's subjective to a certain extent. I think it depends on the individual and the kind of work that they're doing and also just their personal goals. So for me, um, I like to focus on my leadership skills and my business skills. Uh, I read a ton about leadership and business and it's just something that I like. Like I had a business minor in school. I went to leadership camps growing up. It's just something I enjoy, but that's not for everyone, right? right? There are many different types of personalities in the world. And some people are like worker bees. They just like to keep their head down. They like to focus and get the task done mm-hmm. for me I have trouble concentrating I'm not gonna lie but I do like to to lead I, li- I like to plan things out um, and so what I would say are my important skills that aren't technical might not fit with someone else um, so I do think it depends on the individual and uh, you know if you're someone who who likes to be creative mm-hmm. and who likes to you know lead a team or want to start a project I would say look into like leadership and business training but when you get down to it um, people skills are, are going to be very important as well again not for everyone but to a certain extent yeah it is kind of everyone because you work on a team for the most part unless you're like a solo freelance developer you're working no I take it back everyone works with people you got yeah, 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 yeah. E- yeah. even as a freelancer you're gonna yeah. have clients right yeah, yeah. Um, you 
you have to learn how to empathize with people, how to um, listen to people. Uh, so often we just shut people down. No idea is a bad idea. So mm. we should, you know, embrace that and listen to what people really have to say. So people skills, it's like we take that for granted, but yeah. it's a big part of uh, development or really any job. So definitely. I mean, yeah, I take that point. I mean, the so I'm a freelancer. I work for myself. And I will go in, I'll usually go into clients, um, where they've got legacy code. Um, mm. and there's sort of like a skeleton crew of devs. Um, and for the most part, the, 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 the stuff that I'm dealing with uh, has been developed by other developers who don't exist in that company anymore. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you have a whole spaghetti of history and backstory. Plus you've got the, the, the product owners, the people who are actually going to pay you. Um, and they have a tight, you know, some have tight budgets, right? So mm-hmm. you, you have to be aware of not only the technical needs, the technical history, but also the product requirements mm-hmm. and the business needs. And, and once you, once you understand those sort of pockets of information, then you can sort of, well, hopefully try and push the system forward, but be sort of empathetic on, on all avenues. And it, it it's, it's, it's really, really difficult um, sometimes because, you know, you're working with people who, who have either worked on this thing for years and years. So you don't really want to approach on their territory. Um, and sometimes they are like, you know, this is my baby. I'm not going to let it go. Um, and then you've got the, the, the conversations where you can talk to business owners who aren't necessarily coders at all. Um, and they are giving you the backstory of how the history of the company happened. So you, you kind of get that sort of, um, that whole history and you could try and merge the two things together. Um, and when it, when it, when it works well, then it, it works, works really well. There's a lot of compromise. Um, and I think that is, that personally is a, is a very important thing to bring to the table is, is compromise. Um, because yeah. there is, there is like, everyone says good practice, do good practice, do all the things that you should be doing. And yes, that is the case. And I really do support good practice. I certainly support testing and, and all of that mm-hmm. other technical jazz. Um, but when you're speaking to a business owner who is telling you how difficult it is to get funds together, it, you know, you've got to put things in perspective. Um, and yeah. I get, I guess I, from accident have been able to merge the two worlds together. And it's been very interesting because you, you hear the different sides of the story, different mm-hmm. sides of the table. So yeah, certain per- person skills are certainly something that, uh, that I have personally been developing. Um, and yeah. And I think um, we really need to be conscientious of who we're speaking to. Exactly. So, um, so let's say I need to prove the value of a design system, for example, and this conversation will go be vastly different depending upon whether I'm talking to a designer or if I'm talking to product management, right? Mm. So we've got to say, okay, product management is probably more interested in the fiscal return or the, you know, how long it's going to take, right? We've So figure out who you're talking to and what is, what do they want to hear, right? Like what would make them the happiest and, and pull those pieces out of the benefits of what you're trying to do. Mm. Um, the second is people like to be heard and they like to um feel like they matter (laughs) luna agrees with me um so here's an example uh we're building (laughs) we're building 
<laughs> design system. Uh, and there was a, a, a Bitbucket repository that mm. a team had been working on for, I don't know, a year maybe. Mm-hmm. Is this, can you hear that? Like, yeah, it's, it's fine. Oh, this is embarrassing. Okay. So let me restart this. Okay. So there was a team working on a Bitbucket repository for what they called the design system, right? Um, they called it Chameleon Design System. Mm-hmm. And now that we have established a true team to work on this design system, we've started building it from scratch, from you know a baseline. And uh, as such, we wanted to name it Chameleon Design System. But given that that repository space na- namespace had been taken, we couldn't do it. Mm. And so... I had to send them an email and I had to say, Hey, um, you know, we really appreciate all the work that you've been doing. We need you to change your name. And, mm. and here are exactly the reasons why, you know, engineers, we like steps, we like bullet points, we like finite data. So I mm. said, here are the reasons why I said, I know that this is frustrating. Um, and the work that you've done is not getting thrown out. Uh, we would love your help developing this moving forward. So I think the biggest thing here, and they all, they both re- replied very positively, right? This could have been like a hairy situation had I come in and been like, you got to change your name. Mm. You know, it's not going to happen. We're the ones, we're the authority. But because I came in and I said, we appreciate the work that you've done. It's not getting thrown out. I want your help. Of course, they're willing to help. Mm. So I think any situation you can take it and you can identify the feelings and validate the feelings that these people are having, right? They're not always positive and we can, first validate them and then figure out what you can do to help with them. So. Yeah. 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 I totally see your point. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's the fact that you are aware of their needs and what they've mm-hmm. achieved so far. Uh, and you're, you're, you're not the one who's coming in and changing everything, pulling the carpet from the, from underneath their feet. You're actually there to help enforce what they have, um, started to build right so mm-hmm. you know it's it's more about you becoming part of the team not you being the mm-hmm. whole team yeah yeah mm-hmm. i totally get that i totally get that um just a quick story from my point of view there was um a client that i i've dealt with and they they had the, the business owners had zero confidence in in the dev uh team at the time this was going back years and years and years ago um and uh, this was because things were being rushed um, things were being um, not tested properly, and for 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 no single fault, there was no sort of like fault of the developers or fault of the the business owners. It was a joint fault. It was sort of like you know they they didn't give enough time. Um, the developers didn't do enough testing. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's one of those sort of tug of war kind of scenarios. So uh, I kind of looked at this and thought, well, how does one make this more transparent? Because the the thing that was failing was communication. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, we set up things like Slack, we set up things like um, uh, a Jira bug reports, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So they could see all the work that we were doing. And yep. um, th- I mean, th- this wasn't really in place beforehand. Um, th- there was like these meetings that happened like once every blue moon. Um, mm-hmm. And it would be the same same thing said in each in each thing. So, right. you know, the, the, the output would be the same. It would be like, it, it's not ready yet. Um so we, we managed to sort of like boil that down into smaller little chunks. And, um, the, the confidence level of the team is certainly not where it should be, but it's, it's, it is higher. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah. say, I wouldn't say that I was the sole person to, to, to sort of like push this forward. Um, mm-hmm. I, I helped the team get to that point. Um, and it was, it was a bit of a struggle at first, but it's, it's certainly, um, made everybody happy. 
Um, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously the project project managers want it yeah, like yesterday. So, I mean, that, that's, mm-hmm. that's not achievable, but you know, at least they can see what we're actually doing. <laughs> Yeah, it's time consuming. People, developers like to code, right? We don't like yeah. to spend time on documentation or anything like that. So, but I will tell you, transparency saves projects. It, mm. I mean, at the end of the day, our stakeholders need to know where we're at. And not only that, when you have teams dispersed across the world, I work with people in California. It's very, very clear that we need a process in place to track where we are asynchronously. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. When you're working in teams that are remote and they're, they're you know, they're mm-hmm. all over the place, different time zones, you definitely need to yeah. have that level of transparency. You can't just hide in a room for a week and do some code. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. The, the, the problem there is that when there's no, there's no communication, there is, um, a greater emphasis on assuming things are being done or being done in a, in a, in a way that is assumed. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, that's not always the case. Um, yeah. So we've talked a little bit about how one, uh, the, the certain skills of improving a developer, but do you have any kind of like, um, uh, big no-nos as in what not to do to, mm-hmm. uh, to, to what, what would make a bad develop a good developer bad? Mm-hmm. Uh, the first is gatekeeping. Don't do it. We all hate it. It's not <laughs> friendly. Uh, we talked a little bit about this in the beginning, right? But uh, gatekeeping is just a huge red flag. Like, mm. it, it, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't necessarily need to say much more than that. For the people who don't know what gatekeeping is, it's essentially when you're saying, oh, like your front end, you're not a real developer, or oh, you code in. I don't know. You're a WordPress developer. You're not a real developer. It's it's essentially keeping a gate, keeping people out of the I'm a developer, I'm an engineer group. Mm. Uh, not a good thing. Um, pessimism is another one. So I everyone's pessimistic, right? Like I, I struggle with this a lot. Um, I try to only really be positive online, but the reality of, is, of it is you're not always happy. Um, however, uh, don't just be pessimistic. I have worked with people in the past who just, they never had anything positive to say. It didn't matter what the topic was. It was always negative. Mm. And that drains the mm. energy of your team and it makes everyone cynical. And that's just not a productive environment. So um, it's okay to be pessimistic. It's okay to have negative thoughts. Mm. Do those in a controlled environment where you're very intentional about it. Don't be pessimistic at all times. Um, so really watch how you do that. Um, and then lastly is uh, the inability to receive constructive criticism. Everyone needs to, to be able to accept constructive criticism. It's not something that we enjoy hearing. Um, but it, you can kind of change your mindset about it, right? Like, mm. yes, uh, it's not fun to hear that. I don't know. You don't get stuff done on time. And that's the reason why your sprints are, are slipping, right? Um, no one wants to hear that. Or like, no one wants to hear that they have trouble focusing on one task. Or like, they're not using their problem-solving skills effectively. But this is what other people outside see of you. This is their impression of you. And so being made aware of it means you can change it. Mm-hmm. When you're unable to um, when you're unable to receive constructive criticism, you're unable to grow as a person and as a colleague. And that's where you can really stunt your growth as a developer, but just as like a human. Uh, so you should really, really work on ex- being accepting of constructive criticism, but criticism, but also giving it, right? It's a gift. We just need to make sure that it's a safe space to do so. And everyone's aware that it's going to be happening. 
Mm, that's some really, yeah, some some good advice there. I never, <laughs> I never really thought about that. The safe space yeah. with the constructive criticism. Um, I'm I'm incredibly self-critical, um, mm-hmm. but uh, when someone gives me a, a little bit of um, criticism, it is it is tough to swallow. <laughs> yeah, it is. I remember the first time, um, you know, my colleague gave me some constructive criticism and it kind of like totally blew my mind at first. Your first instinct is to get defensive. Mm. Uh, and so, but once, once you get over that, it's like, you know what, there's some truth in what they're saying. Mm. And this is kind of how I approach internet trolls for the most part is like, well, first you get angry and you're like, well, that's totally false. That's not true at all. And then you're like, well, maybe like there's a little bit of truth in there. Um, but when you when you establish a safe space and you say, hey, we're all going to give constructive criticism. This is the time and the place we're going to do it. So everyone comes into this knowing that like it's going to happen. Mm. They're they're mentally prepared for it. But when you catch people off guard, it's like the worst thing, especially because people handle things differently. Some people get upset and and the biggest pill I had to swallow was don't take it personally. This isn't something against you as a person. It's not saying they don't like you. It's saying they respect you enough to tell you these pitfalls so you can do something about it, right? Yeah. They're not talking about you behind your back. They're telling you these things because they genuinely respect you. Yeah, yeah. That's so so good. I mean, I, I've, I've read uh, some of your your tweets and I've seen how you've, you've, um, you've managed – the old troll here and there. Um, and, uh, yeah, hats off to you. Cause uh, it's hard. It's a fine line because uh, I like to educate people, but there are instances. There was one yesterday where, um, I wouldn't say I was necessarily proud of the, the full way that I handled it, but this guy was berating people. He was berating them physically on their physical characteristics. He was calling them horrific names that should never, no one should ever be called. And it got to the point where I was like, you know what? Like people saying, dude, this is not cool. Like you shouldn't talk to people like that. wasn't sinking in with him. Mm. So I had to use like some kind of, you know, humor to get through to him. Right. And it seemed like that maybe helped a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, the, it's, it's a hard thing to judge because I normally would take this time to educate someone, but then there's the person. And most of the, most of the time people would be like, okay, you know what? You're right. Like whatever. I respect that. Or maybe we just say, you know, we'll go our separate ways. It's fine. We don't have to agree. Um, but then there are people who just get super defensive. And at that point, um, it's really hard for me to, to disconnect and walk away. And I think it physically impacts me as well. So yeah, it's, just, yeah, it's hard. I can imagine that. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean the, I, I think I know which one you were talking about. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, I, I was reading it and I was getting angry. Um, yeah, I would not normally call someone out in such a way that I had it. I wasn't disrespectful necessarily. I was putting him in the same position he was putting all of us in. Um, and, and while I'm not fully proud of it, you know, I don't agree with what the things that he was saying. You should never be nasty to someone um, ever, right? Um, mm-hmm. You don't know what people are going through. And this is why I try not to, uh, you know, un- uh, there have been instances where I have unintentionally bullied someone because I would maybe quote tweet something they said, not recognizing the fact that I have followers and, you know, as a byproduct, it could come off as other people bullying him or them or whoever it is. Um, I would never intentionally do that. Uh, but I do think that we need to educate people because if we just sit back and don't say anything, if we're inactive bystanders, that subconsciously tells them what they're doing is okay. And yeah. I will never sit there and say, 
yeah, you can call someone these names. You can tell them that, you know, maybe they're not in the best shape of their life. No, like that's never okay. That's not something that you ever get to say to someone. So, um, that, yeah, the, the, I just got a little fired up. But yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, 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 that was outrageous. Um, yeah. and it, the, the whole thing about social media is it's such a difficult war zone because, um, you, you, you don't want to fuel it because, mm-hmm. but you do want to educate it. Right. You know, you, you want, you want it to, you, you want to, you want to let people know that this isn't okay. Uh, but at the same time, you don't want to give that person any more sort of like, um, uh, a platform to, to continue. So yeah, it's a, it's a very difficult fine line. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we've talked a lot about, uh, soft skills. Is there any mm-hmm. technical skills that you can um, mention that would help someone improve as a as a developer? Hmm. Um, so I guess technically they're still soft skills, but they will help you improve your technical skills. So mm-hmm. the first I want to just briefly touch on is um, atomic habits. So this idea of doing a little bit each day and having that compounded into something uh, you know profound. Okay. Um, so. It doesn't have to be an hour of studying a day. It could be 20 minutes. Uh, it could be, I don't know, you know, just just maybe do like one little coding challenge a day. Over time, they will compound, right? Secondly, don't focus on goals. So this is something for a long time. Like I was like, goals, goals, got to write down my goals. Um, while that's great, it's actually better to focus on a trajectory, mm-hmm. right? So let's say that I want to become... I don't know, a better, let's say I want to become a better developer. Um, instead of saying, I want to, I don't know, have a, a 10 week GitHub streak of contributions. Um, let's say, no, I want to program every single day or just focus on the trajectory. Am I on the path to making more, uh, consistent commits. Does that make sense? So like, mm, instead of yeah. having a tangible, like I need to do this uh, amount of commits by this day, be like, I want to do a little bit every day. And yep. so by pointing yourself at this general direction and analyzing, am I still pointed in this direction? Um, that's going to be the biggest thing to get you to your goal. It's not, um, did I hit my commit number mm. by this date? Um, so focus on the direction, focus on the steps it's going to take to get you pointed in that direction and just keep doing those things a little bit every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second thing was ask for constructive criticism, but I think we've touched on that. So, <laughs> okay, yeah. cool. Um, yeah, I totally dig the uh, the GitHub commit uh, streak. The that that's kind of a very weird sort of metric to go by. You know, oh look, I've people made these. love metrics. I know. Like, right? I don't understand why people are so like. I don't get it with anything, right? Like, like weight loss goals. Like, I want to be this number on the scale by this date, and it's like you're still going to be unhappy with yourself when you hit that because you haven't changed your identity or your mm. mindset. Mm. You need to change that. Like, a number is not going to change things. Or I see a lot of people saying. I want to hit 3000 followers by this date. And I'm like, follower count doesn't give you validation as a human. It just is an arbitrary number of people in the world who are subscribing to what you're saying. And you cannot genuinely find happiness out of that, right? What you mm-hmm. find happiness out of is the interactions that come out of these interactions. That was redundant. The, <laughs> the interactions that come out of inter- <laughs> communicating on the internet. Um, you see what I'm saying? So like, yeah. don't focus on numbers. Uh, focus on building the skills that are necessary to get you to these uh, places. And those uh, numbers will come as a result. Yeah. Um, and also just to extend on that point, um, 
is, I mean, something that I've spoken to, to, to other, other people about consistency is mm-hmm. to not worry about like, like, uh, bulking your git commits up on like a Sunday. So like, don't just go, I'm not going to code for, for six days of the week. And then Sunday, that's it. Boom. Yeah. I'm going to lock myself in the room and code because you'll, you, that's not very productive. So if no. you, if you could, if you could span those eight hours out over the whole course of the week, um, then you'll be more productive. Um, and if that's a trajectory for burnout right there, it's mm, like, yeah. I'm going to pile them all up into one day. It's like, <laughs> tell me a time that you had to study for an exam and you crammed it all into eight hours. Like, tell me how that went. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Badly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, just some points that um, I wouldn't mind raising is uh, testing. So testing code, um, making sure, uh, it, it, it not only does what you think it should do, but it, it also doesn't do what it shouldn't do. Um, and also something that I'm trying to do more of myself is get code reviews. Um, yeah. and it, it's quite difficult being a remote dev, which is a freelancer, because there isn't really, you know, because of NDAs and stuff, I can't just go look at this code random person, you know? Right. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but I, I think that you having someone else's perspective on your code, reading your code is so valuable. Um, and it's something that I would love to do more of in the future. Yeah. And also please, please do not take HTML and CSS for granted. It like breaks my heart when people are like, well, that's easy. I want to do JavaScript. I'm like, Oh, okay, well, t- come back to me when, you know, accessibility is requiring you to go back and fix all of the divs that you've put in. <laughs> uh, I say that sarcastically, but at the end of the day, like, no, HTML CSS are not hard, but you need to learn these foundational things to recognize that your products need to be um, usable by everyone, mm. given any circumstance, um, no exceptions, right? Like yeah, maybe yeah. they won't have the same exact experience, but they'll get the same exact content from your site in an easy to find way. So learn semantic HTML, uh, learn CSS. Uh, you know, it's actually a lot more technical than you give it oh, credit yeah. for. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Go read about CSS specificity. I've got a blog on it. It's a lot of fun math. Um, so these things can be fun if you make them fun. Just don't take them for granted. Yeah, that's some really, really solid advice there. Really, really solid advice. Do you have any other advice to uh, advance uh, developers on um, before we wrap up? Mm, get involved in the community. Find something that you enjoy mm-hmm. and be active there, whether that's a blogging platform or like social media. I, it's a great way to keep motivated um, and just stay humble. Like uh, regardless of how many people are, you know, looking at your repositories or how many people read your blogs, like, that doesn't matter if you're not humble. So stay humble. Um, remember why you do the things that you do, uh, because that's how you're going to be successful if you remember the why. That's brilliant. Yeah, that, that's that. Yeah, that's such a such a nice piece of advice there. Uh, stay humble. Well, thank you ever so much, Emma, for coming on. Yeah, um, thanks for having it's me. It's been awesome. It's been fantastic. Thank you very much. Um, mm-hmm. And thanks ever so much for everyone who is uh, watching on the YouTube's and also listening on the podcasts. Thanks ever so much. Happy coding, everyone. I'll see you again soon. Cheers. Bye.